Good evening, world. Today is a special bonus episode for your ears, but I want to let you know there's a video version of this episode on YouTube, but it's not on our channel. It's on a channel called Dark Five, which I am obsessed with and was really lucky to do this collaboration with. So listen here, but then if you want to see the stuff I'm talking about, then head over to youtube.com slash dark five for the visuals. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Josh, and I'm voicing today's episode. I write scary stories, and I tell them on my show Haunting Season. It's like creepypasta, but with a twist, because I create 360-degree soundscapes that transport you into the story, kind of like a horror version of ASMR. I've added a little of that into this episode, and you'll really be able to hear the difference if you're wearing headphones. If you're into it, then please go check out my show Haunting Season. But for now, these are five of the most documented possessions in human history. Possession of a Board 1100 AD is perhaps the first recorded use in history of a spirit board, now known as Ouija. Throughout the centuries, Ouija board has been known to be used to communicate with spirits. With the letters of the alphabet, numbers 0 through 9, and hello and goodbye printed on the board, a group of people place their fingers on a pointed planchette and ask questions that will then be answered by the planchette, pointing to letters and spelling a response. In modern times, it's seen either as a parlor game or a strong spiritual tool for seances, the latter of which comes with a strict warning. If ever you encounter a spirit by the name of Zozo, End this session immediately by saying goodbye. Zozo is known to be a malicious demon that is bonded to the board and will harass the players with foul language and horrifying trickery, including violently breaking things and throwing its voice around the room. In one specific case, after connecting with the demon in a session with her dad, a small girl claims to see Zozo in her bath before going limp, nearly drowning, and then going inexplicably blind. The occurrences in the house get worse. Furniture begins to move itself around the house. Unexplained scratches appear on the skin of the father, and loud noises keep the family awake all through the night. After releasing their story online, many more accounts dating back decades flood the message boards, all with the same warning. If you encounter the demon Zozo with your Ouija board, end this session immediately, before things quickly worsen. The Possession of a Boy It's the late 1940s, and inside this quiet home in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., a boy is introduced to the wondrous world of spirit boards. The boy's Aunt Harriet has a deep fascination in Ouija boards and uses them as a spiritualist to communicate with the dead. The boy, who is documented with the pseudonym Roland Doe, expresses interest in the board and learns to use it just before dear Aunt Harriet's death. You can assume what happens next. Roland continues to use the board, now seeking his aunt's spirit. But what he finds is much more sinister and is doomed to leave a lasting impact not only on him, but more than 50 others. It begins small, with the sound of distant cries, screaming, scratching, that can only be heard when the boy is near. His parents are concerned, but patient. 
It's when things escalate to picture frames being flung from the walls and the boy's bed frame vibrating and shaking violently at night that they begin to suspect something much more malicious is at play. At school later that week, Roland's desk shakes and classmates and his teacher watch as all of his belongings are flung inexplicably in the air. Doctors and psychiatrists are no help, and that's when the Reverend is called in. After witnessing the full array of supernatural events on his own, the priest calls for an exorcism, but this does little more than worsen the situation. Despite being untouched by human hands, the boy's body is left with bruises, bite marks, and the words, help me, carved into his skin. The exorcisms continue, but the boy's condition is deteriorating rapidly. One day, a new word is carved into his skin. It simply says, Lewis, which the family takes as a cue to move back to their original home in St. Louis. The days are mild, but at night, Roland is speaking Latin, screaming and reacting violently to religious items that are brought in for the more than 25 exorcisms that take place over two months. He's admitted to a hospital where psychiatrists and priests team up together to rid the boy of the demon. But the harder they try, the worse it gets. The boy rips open his mattress in a fit, breaking off a spring and slashing the priest's arm open. Satan will always be with me, the boy screams. All is thought to be lost, and then, a miracle. The boy wakes up after months of demonic torture and tells the people in the room, I saw St. Michael vanquish Satan on the battlefield. The boy is saved. And so are the events that happened in over 16 pages of documents from the psychiatrist, as well as the priest's nightly diary. More than 50 people witnessed these events over the course of the months that the boy was terrorized, and the story lives on in a new form, in the book and award-winning film, The Exorcist. Possession of a Doll One day, in the mid-1970s, Mama brings home a Raggedy Ann doll for her daughters. A classic toy for children at that time. One of the daughters leaves it every morning on her bed, sitting with its arms to the side, but upon returning to the room, finds it in a different position. The girls love the doll. They become infatuated with it, and bring it one day to the breakfast table, insisting that Raggedy Ann needs her own setting. Well, the doll agrees, because on its own, Anne moves her hands from her lap to the tabletop, startling the mother. Mama finds this slightly disconcerting, and so she calls up a local medium who promptly schedules a seance, during which they find that the doll is possessed by the spirit of a girl named Annabelle, who died on the street outside while riding her bike. But God doesn't allow the spirits of little girls to possess dolls says Ed Warren, self-acclaimed demonologist and husband to a renowned medium, Lorraine. These famous spiritualists are called in next, as things begin to escalate. Annabelle, whose raggedy build is designed to be floppy and limp, is found standing in doorways, a feat seemingly impossible. One night, one of the girl's fiancé has a dream about the doll strangling him, and wakes to the doll on his chest and bruise marks on his neck. He throws it across the room, shouting, You're just a doll! And that's when they see it. Seven psychic slashes across the man's chest, bleeding through his t-shirt. 
Exorcisms don't work this time, and the doll is taken for storage and restrained in the Warren's home, locked behind glass that is blessed by a priest daily. But this doesn't keep the doll from causing mayhem. One day, a man and his girlfriend come to see the doll, in what then has become a museum of oddities. Lorraine warns the man not to provoke the doll, but he insists on knocking on the glass and shouting those same foolish words as the fiancé before. You are just a doll! When his girlfriend woke in the hospital, she recalled that on the ride home, the man started laughing uncontrollably and steered his motorcycle into a tree. He died instantly. Annabelle was watched over by Lorraine Warren until her death in 2019. Too frightening to share, she took many of the stories of the doll's atrocities to the grave, leaving Annabelle highly guarded by the staff of the museum, where you can go see her today. Possession of a house. The Warrens are called in again, as they often were. It's August 1977, and the police are on their way to the house of Peggy Hodgson in Enfield, England. The furniture had been seen moving of its own accord, and incessant knocking is heard by two children, Margaret and Janet. While the police investigate, a constable sees a chair wobble and move across the floor. He writes that he could not determine the cause of the movement. Over the next 18 months, the police are called time and time again, during which more than 30 individuals in the fields of journalism and psychic research, as well as neighbors, report witnessing loud crashing sounds, disembodied voices, and seeing with their own eyes the two girls levitating several feet off the ground. While Ed and Lorraine Warren and several others believe the events to be truly demonic, hearing the voice of a male and a dog barking whenever Janet was around, the events were determined by many to be a hoax. Janet was caught bending spoons in the back room and banging a broom on the ceiling. She was also accused of ventriloquism and magic tricks. But some of the phenomenon cannot be traced to childhood pranks. And who's to say that those tricks weren't inspired or enhanced by dark forces? Possession of a boat. On occasion, off the coast of Chile, near the Isle of Chiloe, a ship can be seen sailing freely in the open waters at night. This is the Calauche. It is a sight to be seen. Painted all white, it has three masts, each with five white sails, and is lit by beautiful lights. And if it gets close enough, one can hear the sounds of a vibrant celebration on board. But as quickly as it can appear, it can also disappear beneath the surface of the sea. And while it can be seen by the living, it can only be boarded by the drowned. It is said in Chile, when a sailor drowns, they are ushered by the Serena Chalota, a type of mermaid, to the ship where they can resume their existence as if they were alive. But there's a more insidious attraction to the ship as well. The beauty and wonder and joyous sounds of the ship are also a siren song to fishermen and sailors alike, tempting them into the night sea to drown and join the crew of the Caleuche for eternity, unless they bargain for their lives through magical pacts. It is said when a person in Chiloe gets rich quick, it is the dark pact of the crew of the Caleuche. 